0: You're listening to Two Sides of FI, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached FI in 2020. And this is our story. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi, just setting up this episode. Back in February of 2022, Jason and I both hired the same fee-for-service financial advisor. So we paid a fixed fee for this financial advisor to review our portfolios independently. And it's important to say that we each paid for this out-of-pocket We're not promoting anyone here. In fact, we're not even gonna reveal the exact person that we used. We will talk about some resources on how we found this person. We did this purely as an experiment and to test out this model of financial advisement, something I've always been interested in. I've never worked with a financial advisor, Jason has worked with financial advisors under a different arrangement, assets under management arrangement, and he actually parted ways with them at the end of 2021, so not too long ago. We're both making changes in our portfolios. I'm preparing to transition to FI in 2024, so I have some sort of off-ramp questions. Jason's made some tweaks to his asset allocation. And we both wanted to get an outside, objective, professional opinion about our plans. So. Let's dive in and you'll see how it all went and what we learned. Set it up a little bit. How did you find this particular person? Because there are a lot of these to choose from now. There
1: are, I mean, you know, So I I would say I monitor financial Twitter pretty closely. I consult other resources as well. You know, one of the resources we linked in the last episode, XY Planning, not something either of us are using presently, but a really cool portal into finding potential advisors for something like this. And so I just started looking at the different people who are out there, reading their little bio sketches, what types of offerings they had, and found a number of these people who did something similar, which was you could go to them with your portfolio at whatever stage it's at armed with a list of questions that were interesting to you and they would just assess it and answer your questions and talk about your whole, you know, financial
0: plan and uh, give you feedback. Some are a fixed fee model, but some are like an hourly model, right? You could get. That's
1: right. Yeah. That's right. And
0: some are kind of a hybrid. So you can get a, a, like this one in particular was a fixed fee, but then you can add hourly extensions.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And for me, you know, i I've, I chose the individual I did because of the sort of strength of guidance I was seeing them give, uh, out in financial media and the offering itself seemed to fit me pretty well. And that was, you know, I'm, I was with financial advisors for a number of years. I've now been on my own at that point for a couple of months, uh, I had some things that I wanted to just kind of double check, really, and get some impressions on and ask some specific questions. And this individual seemed to fit the bill.
0: And I had been, this is something that uh, Laura and I had been talking about for a while, and we had just made some portfolio changes and was feeling still a little bit like, all right, we're getting ready to transition here into our, you know, retirement, early retirement. And it'd be really nice to have an objective view, fresh set of eyes on this whole plan that we've developed ourselves. DIY. I mean, we DIY the whole thing. You did nice to have somebody look at this, who was a certified financial planner and they had the title. They were someone who was going to be looking out for us, right? They are actually a fiduciary. Um, but we didn't want to invest like you know 1% of our entire portfolio to try and make that happen. We didn't want that long-term commitment having seen all the benefits that you got from that relationship. It just felt a little like a little bit too much for us. Um, so yeah. I thought hey, I'll let you try this out first and you actually signed up for let's, let's kind of walk through the process of how it went cuz I think it's kind of interesting and I think they're all pretty similar.
1: Yeah, they they seem structurally to be the same where, you know, you indicate your interest and you pick the time using their web calendar for right. an intro call. And that's the level setting. This is what I offer, oh, this is what I'm looking for. If that lines up, great. Uh, you know, they explain the fees and all of that and then send you some material to fill out. And that was, here's the basics of my portfolio, just like you would signing up with any advisor. um, An opportunity to list the questions you had, uh, and then they asked you some questions that you just had to sort of give answers to. So not very much work. If your portfolio was organized, it took me maybe half an hour, 45 minutes to put that packet together, send it off. And then once they receive that, you then schedule, uh, in this case, a two-hour call. To go over that and after the call uh, they do a write-up you get a report uh, where they may add more details based on the sort of the interaction you have on the call and then typically uh what i've seen and in this case was actually a, a pretty nice add-on the, there was a sort of uh you were able to email or get on the phone quickly even after that Report is given to for any follow up questions that maybe weren't weren't unclear and I think in this case that was extended for 90 days if I'm not mistaken so yep. that was kind of the logistics of it
0: right yeah my 15 minute introductory phone call was it was setting expectations like okay yeah. I just want to make sure you understand this is what we're doing and you know financial planning can be a really sort of broad scope
1: right? yeah absolutely it, comprehensive it encompasses,
0: you know, um sort of emergency plans and how you're gonna deliver information to people who are connected to you. It's, you know, estate planning, it's insurance, it's college planning if you have kids. You know, it's not just the portfolio. And what I said was for my personal situation that I was less interested in the estate aspects. I had figured out insurance. If you'd done that. Because I'd done it already. And so I said I really want the focus of this consult to be on the portfolio. And and I think there was pretty realistic expectations set there. Um, you know, they're basically said to me, we're going to walk through those things. We won't spend much time on them, but I do want to cover them just to make sure, you know, you've thought of everything that I have here on my list. And so we'll, we'll move through those and then we, we will focus on the portfolio. What was the booking time? Where was this person scheduled out like months in advance for you?
1: Uh, I feel like it was within a month for me. Yeah. Uh, and then right. I was able to actually jump on a little earlier time. I feel like I might've moved it up yeah. a week or two because Dale. some time became available yeah. and they had told me that was okay to do.
0: Yep. Yes. I did the same thing actually. Um, it took me a little bit longer than 45 minutes to upload all of the documents. And I was very precise in how it was filling out. I mean, I came up with like a four page list of questions basically. And I think,
1: Oh, did you send that, or did you? Did. cut yeah, it down.
0: Yeah, no, it was supposed to fit in this little box, and I was like, yes, "Oh, was. I got way more questions than are going <laughs> to oh, fit in that little box." I was you like, "See,
1: now we understand c- what happened here." See,
0: c- attached. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're that guy. I uh, see now you're making fun of me in the last episode, showing up with the uh, with the plan <laughs> yeah. for my financial advisors. I don't know. Maybe, I'm gonna get uh, my money's worth, man. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So, what what was it that took a while in terms of preparing that? you know, packet to submit.
0: Well, I wanted to make sure that, you know, all of the the sort of nuanced questions that I had about our personal financial situation, like in, including like drawdown strategies and yeah. okay, what we're doing with the portfolio here and how are we gonna tweak this? I want to make sure all of those were captured and and I gave a lot of detail on those things. And then the kind okay. of life planning stuff, I was just, no, I was less interested in that. And, okay. you know, I had questions about my business um, tax uh, questions. I had questions about a cash balance plan, which is a type okay. of kind of, you know, retirement plan for, you know, uh, small business owners, self-employed. It's like a pension plan essentially. And okay. that has a level of complexity to it. That's like three layers deep. Um, so, you know, it's not like the four page document was like, you know, millions and millions of questions. It was just, I just want to make sure I had them all on paper. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You gave all the context and,
0: but I think, I always think that the, the quality of information that you receive in return is just a function of the kinds of questions that you ask. And I think, Oh yeah, I agree. This particular check-in, I mean, it was kind of open-ended in terms of what it, it left you these boxes and said, yeah, i put your questions in here. Yep. Um, and you and I are people who have thought about these portfolios and, you know, planning or natural planners by nature. So we're naturally going to have a lot of questions and, and things that we've thought for sure. about for a long time, but someone coming to this for, for a first time may not have thought of all of these things. So I thought it might be interesting to kind of talk about some of the, the, maybe the higher level questions that, that you had. Sure.
1: Um, So I I didn't have pages of attachments, but (laughs) I did recognize that I had a lot of things I wanted to check on. And I definitely found myself trying to pick and choose um, as to what was most important and not just kind of reaffirming things that I was pretty sure were the case. But yeah. I, I did pick some some heavy hitters. So uh, the, the first that comes to mind is, you know, as we've talked about in the asset allocation series, I was about 80 percent, you know, equity and 20 percent fixed income and in cash. And I had already decided that I wanted to move uh, to a 70-30 okay. uh, model and was about to take the steps to do that. And so I wanted to check in, you know, did you agree, uh, you know, this financial advisor, that that was a reasonable <laughs> Approach, given my current age, my assets, and my you know projected worst case lifespan yeah and, uh, so that was one thing
0: and and speak for a moment too about you know one of the ways that you chose this particular person
1: oh yeah sure that's that's a great point so um a couple things you know in addition to as you rightfully pointed out, uh, I wanted somebody you know ascribing to the cFp standards certified financial planner, I also wanted somebody. You know, candidly, he was a little more conservative. Right. Um, You know, I see a lot of merit to like a a Bogleheads type view. But uh, so I was looking for something like that. But in addition, somebody who would be, you know, maybe tough with me on, you know, (laughs) not trying to kind of push myself out on the risk spectrum, because I knew that some of the things I had in place were a little farther out in the risk spectrum. And I already just had decided I wanted to pull them in a bit, particularly on the fixed income side. But I wanted somebody to kind of hold me to task on that. And so that was definitely part of my decision-making process. And it reads in the questions I asked. So for example, to that very point, I know some of the things that I had in my fixed income bucket were definitely farther out. They were going to be offensive to
0: this guy. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, preferred stock funds and things like that, which are, you know, interesting from a diversification standpoint, but I knew, or I suspected at least that I was going to get told, you know, you're going to want to get out of that. So I wanted to ask about that.
0: Did you disclose that you had developed this plan with other financial advisors? I did, I oh, you did. did. I, was, okay. I was very upfront and he said that,
1: okay. I'd said I, I'd had a good relationship for seven years or so with financial advisors. I decided to go out on my own and here's the questions I have in taking this on myself. Yeah. That, that That's how I put it. Okay. Um, so I, I did, I, I listed, uh, those funds and the specific questions I had about their role in the portfolio. Yep. I also, uh, specifically asked about a couple uh, of higher expense ratio funds that I had, particularly in my international holdings and some thoughts I had as to what I might do with them differently. I also asked about how much cash to hold, because as you know, you and I have discussed before, I, I typically kept around 10 to 12 months of cash. Um, and oh, was, he must
0: have hated that.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I was at uh, least I, I projected uh, an awareness that that was a little light. And, you know, I'm thinking back to our conversation with Fritz. I talked about wanting to move to two years of cash. So I threw that. 10 to 12 out years, there. please. How, how do you feel about uh, 20 years of cash? No, two years of cash. <laughs> um, and, and I also had some specific questions about things like. Um, uh, the small business income, because as you know, both Lori and I have some very, uh, you know, small business kind of income we bring in from like, uh, she does some tutoring. Um, you know, I do a little bit of consulting occasionally and, you know, maybe there's not a huge planning opportunity there, but wanted to ask questions around IRA and solo 401k strategies for these small businesses. Okay. And then finally, I guess the last important, really important question for me was just laying out my withdrawal strategy. You know, I'm withdrawing. Below three percent right now, and you know, wanted to talk about the appropriateness of that. You know, what if I wanted to increase that? Um, you know, so just some different thoughts that I had
0: on that. Um, I'm going to tell you some of my questions. All right. <laughs> so I had very pointed questions about my asset allocation because I, I, told you I just come off of that um, reallocation into bonds, yes. and um, one of the reasons why I really liked the person that you had selected was because a lot of his expertise is in bonds. Yes. Um, So he has a lot of kind of knowledge around fixed income. So I had done my own research and part of this was proving, okay, do I know enough about bonds to be making informed decisions here? And so some of the questions that I was asking were, were they were very pointed in terms of, okay, if I hold this fund for the duration, I'm still going to come out. Okay. Right. You know, questions like that, which are probably very simplistic for him to answer, but it did start drawing out other discussions, you know, about treasuries. And I I know we're going to get into this, but that kind of helped seed some other conversations. So lots of asset allocation questions. I had questions about my business residual income, you know, as I transition and the transition questions were kind of, honestly, they're, they're, deflected a little bit, which I, we we can discuss that. Uh, I had questions about, um, Roth conversion strategies at present and future. I had tax efficiency questions like, okay, I have these things here and these things here. Does that make sense? You know, and really some very detailed things. I had questions, uh, about the rising equity glide path and, or a a bond tent because, you know, I had been doing all this research. So I was like, okay, I'm just kind of testing my knowledge against someone who has a really objective view um, rebalancing strategies I had questions about. Um, and then I really wanted to stress test our asset allocation and our um, withdrawal percentage, um, which is higher than yours. Um, and I put in all the documentations, like here's exactly what we plan to do. The withdrawal rates plan to be 3.3% and you know, the, here's our asset allocation and what do you think kind of yeah. thing.
1: Hi, Jason here with Two Sides of Fi. If you'd like to help the show, Please support our nomination for a Plutus Award for Excellence in Financial Media. To do so, just go to com slash P-L-U-T-U-S. The few seconds you spend can have a really big impact. Thanks.
0: And so we uploaded that and then we scheduled a phone call and then we Uh have the conversation. How did yours go?
1: Well, first of all, I want to just interrupt and say I love that for once I feel like I didn't go too in the weeds on something because that's my natural bent, right? Wait, are you saying that's
0: too in the weeds?
1: I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like you're trying to get like a full AUM relationship on a two hour consult. And I like, I love that you went for it. And I know that those are core importance questions to you. So I'm not at all surprised you asked them. And that's a really good list of questions And I'm sure when he got it, he was like, that's a really good list of questions. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you how it went though. I'm, I'm know, excited. To, I'm excited to divulge wait.
1: it. <laughs> I can't wait. No, I mean, so, so my call, uh, so I would say that there, this individual has uh, clearly has a framework that they like working with. And I yes. suspect that has something to do with, you know, the broad range of people that probably approach them. And I suspect it's weighted towards the earlier stage. And so it becomes important to talk about some of the things that that you weren't so interested in. And right. honestly, I wasn't either. And I had said the same thing. right? Okay. You know, estate planning, life insurance umbrella insurance, things that you know, you and I have talked about before that, that we're very comfortable with, that we put in place. And so we moved past that stuff relatively quickly. I mean, maybe we spent a little bit longer on it than I wanted to, and he did raise a couple of good questions um, on, on insurance that I hadn't really thought about before, but they were huh. easily kind of moved past. Like what? So we did spend a very large amount of time, in my case, maybe not on portfolio nuts and bolts. But on my bit and we saved that for the end basically but my bigger my t- higher level questions on overall asset allocation and by that i mean stock to fixed income ratio um uh, withdrawal rate um and and withdrawal strategy and i did get the conservative uh opinion that i was seeking yep. um and that was a good thing it, it did have me asking a lot more questions because You know, I, I honestly hadn't considered some of the moves that were being proposed. Um,
0: well, let's get into it. Like what?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, one of the things that came up was, you know, so you, so you're talking about holding 30% fixed income, uh, which I have since done by the way. Um, and, but you also have a mortgage and you have one of those great low mortgages. You yes,
0: 2.6%. Mortgage is a negative bond.
1: Right. Mortgage is a negative bond. If you're holding any appreciable, like, you know, basically, this indig- individual's opinion, and they're not alone in this. Others have written about this. Um, if you're carrying 100% stock, you know, you're earlier in your journey, well, carrying a mortgage makes perfect sense because you're able to put that much more money towards your portfolio. You can handle the risk, and you're you're driving for a total return at that point. Well, the situation's different if you're like me, for sure, where I, I don't, I'm not even bringing in income anymore. Right. Outside of my assets really and so holding a bond is you know, sort of like you're locking in uh, a downside um, on your portfolio so why not just pay off your mortgage and take that off the table and now you can feel good holding the bonds that you hold and I earnestly did consider that um, for a variety of reasons I decided I was not going to do that I was very comfortable with the with the the flexibility I had and the sort of the, the way that my assets were structured and not to mention the enormous tax hits I would have to take to put something like that into place. Because of course, if I suddenly liquidate all of my fixed income and cash, now I've got to liquidate stock with huge embedded gains over time, right? I've been doing this for many years now to <laughs> rebuy. So anyway, the point is, I didn't do that. But it was but, really great to have somebody challenge me on that.
0: But and but you pushed back on that. And, and I what, did. what was the response? The response was, well,
1: I mean, that's that's a decision you can take. But Let's talk about the risk in your portfolio. So, OK, um, you know, maybe 70-30 is OK, but you need to be willing to be very flexible on spending or, on the other hand, bringing in more income. And yep. And both my wife and I are comfortable with either of those things. We've built in plenty of buffer in there to pull back if we have to. And we're both willing to. Uh, look at means to bring in more income if we have to in sort of a tragic, very prolonged downturn, because we have good coverage of quite a few years where before we would ever have to touch stock. But if something really, you know, never before seen happens um, to the U.S. market, then yeah, we might have to do something different. So he was pretty Mm -hmm. clear that we had options. Uh, On the other hand, something I know you guys would have talked about because you asked about it was, well, rising equity glide path. Just flip your portfolio around, go much bigger Oof. on fixed income, and then start to ratchet that down and in concert ratchet up the stock portion of your portfolio. And we did talk through that again. And it's not something <laughs> that I'm going to be doing. Totally uh, not
0: appealing to me. At
1: this time, it's not appealing. I'm go, I'm comfortable go to 30% with
0: stocks and 70% bonds right now. Yeah. Not going to do it. No, I I felt like this was yeah. one area where I felt like it was a little bit too boilerplate like, okay, it should have Let's been talk about what that means. It should have been more informed by personal nuance. And, um, because I agree with you when the, when the phone call started, there was this pretty big hit on the estate planning. And there was actually a few things in the very beginning of the phone call, which I appreciated and was able to, you know, learn from and kind of move forward with, we can talk about that, but the estate planning and insurance discussions happened for an hour and a half. I mean, an hour. Oh, wow. and a half. Okay. So yeah, hour and a half into the gone. meeting we're getting to the portfolio i'm like well this is the meat of the conversation and then we only got 30 minutes to do it you know got it so i was a little that was a little um it was tough for me but i think you know like you said this is designed with a certain kind of person in mind and i think you and i have um it it might not be perfect for us in in, in the same way, although I did come away with some pretty significant learnings. Yeah, Um, yeah,
1: me too. I do agree with what you said about, you know, there were elements that seemed, you know, pretty boilerplate. On the other hand, I can also get what they were trying to do. You know, they say, you know, on this topic, here's, you know, some, you know, some things that have been written by a variety of people. Yeah. uh, From the trades to the, you know, just financial media, et cetera. And you know, well, well uh, sourced and good information, um, and, and I, I suspect that that stuff is super necessary for a lot of people who either aren't as far along. To I think that's the point you were trying to make uh, in their sort of journey, where that's newer information to them, and you're sort of trying to balance that with customizing. Uh, feedback based on an individual circumstances. And I think that is going to be one of the big differences between working with somebody for a longer period of time versus dropping in and getting information. And you said that in the episode about my financial advisors, you said you could do an hourly consulting or a project based thing but are you going to get the same degree of personalized information that you got from people that work with you over the years and of course not no
0: yeah but may, well maybe not of course not my expectations are always like up here and then i just have to i have to gauge them a little bit and and that's yeah. you know i understand that this isn't meant to be an assets under management level of consultation, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to try and ask the pointed questions to get the things out of the consultation that I need to get out of it. Like disability insurance. We spent so much time on disability insurance. And I'm like, look, just not interested. Like we're self-insuring here. This is what it is because we have this passive income that's coming in and we consider that to be a relatively stable thing. He's conservative to the point where it's like, well, the worst case scenario is this and that's what I always plan for and I appreciate having that perspective because it's not the first place that my brain goes.
1: Yeah, I think, Eric, it's a good point. I think it goes back to something that you've said previously with, you know, you don't want to take all your advice from Reddit, which is over here on the risk right. spectrum. You don't want to take all your advice from the Bogleheads forum because it's over here on the risk spectrum. And you know, this individual is clearly more towards that end of things.
0: De- definitely. And. Um, you know, I had many of the same, when we were talking about asset allocation and drawdown strategies, you know, my asset allocation was far too aggressive for him. I had a 70, 30 portfolio essentially. And my drawdown was a 3.3% is what I was planning on. And he's like, Whoa, I mean, that really scared him. You were below 3%. And I I was, yeah. And he's like, Oh, (laughs) yeah, which is fine. And I get it. And the discussion went to the same place that it went with you, which was, look, this may work but there's also a chance that it may not and you have to be comfortable with the probability associated yes. with it not working and you know it's it's one thing to put it into cfire sim or one of the, any of these online calculators and you know you can't assume that that's a probability it's not it's not actually yeah. a probability because it's not contextualized to the current situation that you're in right. so it it definitely gave me pause and Laura and I i think you know in general after the phone call we're like feeling a little deflated. You know, it's like, he basically said, well, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) I wouldn't retire early on that amount with that withdrawal rate given this set of parameters, you know, basically said that, and it's not what we wanted to hear, but it's what we needed to hear. And you know, it made us, it made us just, I guess, again, rethink. All right. Well, the drawdown, you know, percentage, we have to really reevaluate this. We have to critically reevaluate it. And if that means that we need to work another year or another two years, then so be it. Um, you know, you get to this point when you're so close to the, what you've set as your, your fire date. And if you can't introduce some kind of flexibility yeah. into that, you're setting yourself up for, for failure because <laughs> we don't yeah. know what the next two years are going to be like in the market.
1: Totally. Certainly
0: the past four months have been unpredictable. Um, I expect more of the same. And um, this evaluation kind of made us pull back a little bit and not be so hot on the, on the final date, even though that's where my brain is. Um, so, so I think in that respect, it was really good.
1: As we sit here, I can hear people pounding the keyboards already saying that it's well tested, 4% and even up is gonna be fine as a withdrawal rate. Why are you worried about what this individual told you? What, what would you say in response to that?
0: There are some really good articles uh, by Earn Karsten. Karsten. Where he discusses contextualizing a withdrawal rate to the current market conditions, and I think um, a lot of his stuff is goes pretty high level. Um, so if you're fairly new to this and and less interested in reading, you know, real detailed financial analysis, yeah. in-depth it's, modeling, it's, it's gonna it may be a little off-putting, but he's got actually a really nice chart which looks at kind of cape ratios. Um, and compares those, you know, a safe withdrawal rate, which he's modeled out across a whole number of scenarios yeah. um, based on, you know, contextualizing the situation to now. And if you look at those, 4% does not work in yeah. those scenarios. I mean, there's a failure rate that is higher than 10%. And I, I mean, I don't know. You have to decide personally if you're comfortable with that. And, you know, all of these things are subject to your own tweaking of the dials. If you're someone who can reduce your spending, you know, in a time of crisis, a bear market, extended bear market, and you can reduce your spending in half, like it's, you can still make it work. It's not like, it's not like you're, you're not going to notice the failure point uh, before it happens. I think if if you're someone who keeps optics on their portfolio, it's totally possible to manage this. And I think that's one of the things that came up in this consultation. It's like, hey, if you're willing to be flexible (laughs) with your withdrawal rate, you know, spending, then you can probably weather almost any storm with this portfolio that you have but i'm just here to tell you that there's a lot of risk associated with it and like even with the 70 30 portfolio i was shocked like yeah. were you shocked when he's when he was pointing those things out to you or or not?
1: I would say i wasn't shocked that he pointed them out i was yeah. shocked about the sort of intensity uh, that <laughs> yeah. he pointed out like i know that there's no that these are not you can't say well seventy thirty in a three percent uh withdrawal rate, I'm guaranteed success right like no. I know that's not the case exactly, but still he made very good points about you know risk adjusted return you know just to pick one topic you know and we walked through i don't know if you got to this level i want to hear your answer but we did get into my portfolio we had a lot more time on my portfolio probably an hour of our conversation was just about some of my positions where i had some of these things that were fixed income like but not exactly some of these funds when you really dug in and you you looked at their performance versus you know an intermediate treasury uh bond for yep. example and compared that during the downturns well these funds performed much more like a stock or or a junk bond than they did like what they're supposed to be right which is you know you're you're adding this diversity in fixed income as to you know have a, a properly risk adjusted portfolio. They're de-risking. You know, uh, I can already also hear the comments coming in about bonds are garbage. Why would you look at treasuries? The return is awful. They are not there to return. They are there to avoid big loss in a severe downturn, um, among other roles that they can have. But, you know, we looked at some of those examples and he made the point that I had already come to in my head, which was, there's too much risk in some of these. I really need a better instrument in there, whether it's a total bond fund or a treasury. Um, and so that did help me a lot because I had this, you know, I already had this kind of, you know, <laughs> nagging feeling that I need to change some of this out. And, you know, his point was made very clear. And that is one area that was very effective for me. And he pointed to me to some really good uh, articles and books that dove into this topic. Yeah. Yeah. And I very quickly convinced myself, yeah, he's he's not making this up. Right. Yes, it's a conservative position, but it's one born out with a lot of
0: data. Yeah, we talked about I think one of the reasons why we didn't spend a lot of time on my portfolio was because it's not a complex portfolio. Right. That's, Honestly. That's fair. It's just not. And, you know, the questions that I had were they were kind of easy answers for him. So I'll I'll give you an example. You know, I was trying to figure out, okay. I had questions just about how a bond fund like BND or VBTLX, like the Vanguard Total Bond Market, US Bond Market Fund, how does this actually operate? So we talked through the actual composition of these funds, and it helped me to understand that, okay, it's not just like it is actually composed of bonds which have a higher. Risk than say Treasuries, for example, yeah. and um, one of the things that came up was this idea of comparing going to an in- intermediate Treasury fund like VGIT, for yep. example, right, um, which is like ten-year Treasury fund, basically. It's
1: it's around seven years, is, is it five, oh, this, at the, or is a five point eight is currently okay. the average duration? I think. Okay, yeah. Sorry.
0: Okay. So if you took your portfolio and you took the sort of fixed income portion of your portfolio and turned it into all intermediate treasuries you can actually adjust your equity holdings up higher and your portfolio as a whole will have a higher risk adjusted rate return that's right um which i thought was really interesting that was kind of one of those unlocked moments where it's like okay well i probably would not have gotten there on my own and i know you guys had kind of a similar we did yeah yeah so that i didn't totally transfer out of um my holdings in bnd But I went, I did a pretty significant weighting over to VGIT um, following that. And, you know, reading through the articles and the data that he sent to support that was really helpful. I mean, it it gave me a lot of confidence in in making that move.
1: Me too. And and honestly, uh, that was one of the biggest material changes that happened in my portfolio. And, you know, somebody you know, watching this might not think it's a very big change. It was like, well, you went from these fixed income funds to another one. But I mean, it was a big shift. I mean, I, I, I'm my fixed income allocation is uh, something like 60 percent VGIT Me too. and 40 percent of it is total bond. And I recognize from a risk perspective. That means that there's corporate bonds in there right. um, and mortgage backed securities that are adding some risk back. But, you know, I, I talked about that. That was one of the follow ups we did. We, we haven't gone into detail about that. But, you know, uh, when I sent some questions after the call and I sat in with the report and digested it, it's one of the things I went back with. Well, what about 60-40 or 70-30 treasuries and a total bond fund? And we had a you know quantitative discussion about what that meant uh, at a portfolio level. And I was OK with that.
0: Yeah, right. No, and I'm in the same a similar place. I didn't actually think it was possible to buy something more boring than BND, but like VGIT is actually more
1: boring. (laughs) It's tragic, but hey, it's letting us do some uh, tax loss harvesting
0: right now. (laughs) It's tragic. Well, are you loss harvesting that? (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh. All right. I haven't done that.
1: Oh yeah. I think I'm going to, I'm going to loss harvest VGIT into GOVT.
0: Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go.
1: Anyway, yeah, I found an article on that. I'll send it to you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's actually a good one to link in the show notes. For anyone who really does want to nerd out on tax loss harvesting of bonds, I found this article that I I found really interesting.
0: Oh, God. Okay.
1: Well, as interesting as it can be about bonds. Right.
0: (laughs) I I want to talk about some of the other unlock moments that we had. Uh, uh, um, One that happened for me, and I asked the question, so this is here again, an example of, okay, am I doing this right I'm just asking this question because it's not something I'd done in the past. And Uh this is not high level or anything, but I had never contributed to a traditional IRA in the past, say, eight years. Got it. Uh, Just hadn't done it. Um, But I did have a balance in a traditional IRA that I had rolled over from a previous job. So it was significant balance in there. Um, And so we talked about um, clearing that out, moving that over to my solo 401k. So my traditional IRA would have a zero balance. And then contributing for both 2021 last tax year and this tax year, $6,000. So contribute $6,000 for 2021 immediately or next day, roll it over into a Roth.
1: Yeah. Backdoor convert.
0: Yeah. So just do that backdoor conversion. And it was not really on my radar because I'm like, well, if I'm not going to get the tax deduction for contributing to a traditional IRA, why would I do it? But That's the reason you do it because you immediately roll it into your, you know, Roth assets and you and I didn't have access to Roth contributions just because our incomes were exceeding the limit. um, I think basically for as long as they had ever existed. So it wasn't really an option for us, but this is a way to unlock that. So that, that was a really nice change. So both Laura and I both did that, made those contributions.
1: Yeah, uh, that's I, I think that's a really good one, uh, and it does sort of relate to my situation where I asked about the small business income, yeah. and you know both of those you know little pieces of income are enough to allow us to make you know contributions, and our income is low enough we can do Roth, but we did also talk about you know creating solo four one ks or solo ks for both of us, moving our traditional IRA assets in there. Um, because, uh, if, if our incomes do increase, we would want to take advantage of the same uh, mechanism if we couldn't do direct Roth conversions. And so we hadn't, I'd never talked through that before with anyone. I had a good follow-up conversation with my CPA who does my tax returns, uh, about that. And so that was really good because that was not something that was, I was looking into at all.
0: Yeah. And if you are a small business owner, and I talked to a lot of small business owners just through my own business because I consult with other architects and interior design. But if you have a small business and you don't have a solo 401k, you should open one up immediately. Yeah. It's got great benefits just in terms of, you know, you can capture an employer contribution and an employee contribution. And the employer contribution can be up to 20% of your business income. Um, Lots of details to look into there, but it means effectively in a year pre-tax, you can contribute up to $61,000 in 2022 to, you know, a retirement account effectively. Um, And obviously that comes right off your top line revenue figure. So it's very, very valuable. And especially for someone like you and Lori, like you, I mean, you can not only contribute to your Roth, like you get that because you have earned income. I I presume it's more than $6,000 a year, but you can contribute, you can fully fund that, right? Presuming you're below the income level, but then you can also throw in 19.5 as an employee, presuming your income is at least that, your solo 401k and as an employer for the solo 401k you can do up to you know 20 percent of that you know the net
1: right and so we did have a number of conversations about everyone's favorite topic of the fungibility of money yes and you know you know you know you might not think on the surface it makes sense to be you know basically taking money from taxable and then you know moving it over here but You know, yes, it does, or it can make good sense, and so just knowing that that's something you should think through, and why it can be helpful to check in with, uh, you know, somebody on the tax side with a CPA. And this individual, not a CPA, but I do have somebody I already work with on taxes. Uh, So I left this. With some really clear questions that I was able to go and talk through with the individual who helps me with my taxes, and you know, come up with a strategy for this year for 2022.
0: Yep. One thing we did um, talk about that was interesting that didn't really cross my mind um, was this idea of um, buffer assets. So we own our own home. So one of the ideas about like you know, can you access cash in a downturn? Yeah. That wouldn't mean selling, you know, stocks or bonds or whatever. Um, and you could consider taking like a HELOC if yep. you're b- um, below the age of sixty-two. And then after sixty-two, I wasn't familiar with this term, but it was called a home equity conversion mortgage. Had you heard of that before? Is, and that's that's something
1: different than a reverse mortgage.
0: I think it's very similar to a reverse mor- mortgage, but it's okay. it's um, it's a government-backed uh, loan basically. So it's, you know, it's government backed mortgage. So, um, you know, with a HELOC, they can be rescinded at any time. So that's yeah. the real danger. You know, if you're, if you're relying on this and especially in a downturn, like, and I know this happened in the global financial crisis, like those things can be just pulled back on, on a moment's notice. Um, so that can put yep. you in an even worse position when you're already kind of down. It's not something we're really considering. But I, I kind of appreciate that it's on the menu of of things that I hadn't thought about.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you're not taking out a HELOC to buy more I-bonds?
0: <laughs> we did talk about I-bonds. Did you guys? Um, we didn't
1: because um, I think I had already made the decision to get, to get the shares allocation at that time.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. I don't – I mean – I don't care much about the lockup that's fine there's a 1 year lockup on that but the thing that bothered me about the i bonds is just it's the, it's taxing situation you know when you when you cash them in there's there's no preferential tax treatment there it's just taxed at whatever your your marginal tax rate is so that's kind of a bummer
1: yeah, but you know, it's it, it's it's a reasonable place to put a portion of your cash allocation that you don't need for at least a year, right? From a just a pure, especially in an inflationary environment. I is that guess, how I you're treating about it? it?
0: You're just putting yeah. cash in there. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, I just took. I mean, so I'm I'm carrying now. You know, one of the outcomes confirmed with this call is I'm carrying two years of cash. Oh. So I put. You know. Ten thousand for each of us, my my wife and I. That's which is the limit into okay. into I bonds. So now yeah. I've you know locked in a you know seven ish percent for the first six months and nine ish percent for the next six months. So around eight percent.
0: Um, I mean, yes, you're not getting that in bonds. That's for sure. Uh, nope, not or any anywhere yeah. really yeah. <laughs> <Right now. laughs> these days. Jeez. Yeah, for sure. Where we were talking about my wife's 457 plan, and and we knew some stuff about it. But we had some questions, like we wanted to know at severance time. So when my wife decides she wants to retire, with a 457, typically you have to take that either as a lump sum payment at point of severance, or you can spread it out over 10 equal installments. So like 10 years, right? Um, And you can kind of pick when that period starts. It doesn't have to be immediate. Um, but it's been a question for us in terms of a drawdown strategy. Like how do we manage this? Cause what if the business is continuing to throw off residual income in these first couple of years? Like it'd be nice if we could take that sum of money and just roll it into say a 403B or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. A just tax protected plan. And then we could just plan our, you know, we can do all of our tax planning with it in that account. It just felt, felt more manageable. And yeah, the answer we got back was, oh yeah, you can do that. Um, and as i researched i double checked it because i was like ooh this would be great you know yeah. and i went through and vetted it and it, it actually turned out not to be true um, so we could have made a set of assumptions based on some kind of flawed information um, and there was a few other things around that that were also they were just a little bit incorrect and, and i wasn't like floating these questions to kind of test this person but no um, i don't
1: expect you at would. the same
0: point when i started getting back answers which i knew were different than what i had already learned I started to, I was like, Hmm, let me check into this. Did you have anything like that?
1: No, not to my recall. I think, um, I had things I asked follow up questions on, um, just to clarify, but no, I don't think I encountered anything where I was like, Oh, that's counter to my understanding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have the call and then you get a report. So one of the things you mentioned is that you, you felt like you didn't get enough time on the assets themselves, the portfolio kind of deep dive. Did some of that, was some of that borne out in the report itself or did that come in? Did you send some follow-up questions in and get some of those questions answered?
0: I sent a few follow-up questions to, to kind of tie up some loose ends, but you know, like I said, like I maybe came in with, um, a set of questions that were easily answered in kind of like a back and forth situation. And okay. that we didn't need to spend a whole lot of time on those. Um, we did talk about, you know, I had some questions about rebalancing and some maybe loose ends that I didn't actually tie up in the consult that I was okay. able to just send to this person. I mean, the, the report for me came very quickly. It was like yeah. a day or two after me too. we had the consultation and it was a very long report and you know, a lot of it Kind of boilerplate stuff. Like you could tell, there's a template that's being used, but sure, it was also loaded with just links to articles. Like if you want to take this further, here's here's three different instances here. You know, and I think I had some follow-up questions on uh, 529 contributions. So we've, we have 529s for both our boys. Um, and we were for college savings for college savings. And then we had started a separate brokerage account, which we had earmarked for college for our oldest, cause we weren't sure if he was going to go to college and we wanted to be able to give him kind of seed funds for if you want to start a business or something yeah. else. Um, and so I had some questions about that. I said, does it make sense now that we know my oldest is going to college and my youngest is going to college and that's happening? Between two and four years from now, right? Um, you know, what happened? Oh, sorry, not even that. <laughs> it's like yeah, zero and <laughs> two years. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, does it make sense to still contribute to, you know, a, a 529? Because what we're, if we're going to liquidate the funds that we had in this brokerage, we're going to take a pretty big capital gain on that. So that, that doesn't seem to make sense to pay that. Um, yeah. So I wanted some of those questions answered. What What do you think his advice there was?
1: Oh, geez, put me on the Any spot. Any guesses? Uh, take the hit,
0: pull off the Band-Aid. He said it didn't really matter. No, oh, okay,
1: <laughs> but because I would say that I I did I the you know, and the reason I answered that way just to continue the point is there were a couple times in my conversation where I would say he took a, you know, pretty typical for a financial advisor, took the strong position of, you know, don't let the tax tail wag the, you know, portfolio dog. Sometimes you gotta rip off the bandaid if it's the right thing to do. Don't don't put off difficult decisions because they're gonna cost now because they're gonna cost more later. So that, that's
0: why I guess that. This was a case where I thought, okay, well, like we painted a very specific circumstance and maybe my expectation for the, um, the nuance of, of advice was too high here. But I would have thought he said, well, here's two scenarios. Like you could essentially pay out of pocket what you were going to go chuck into a 529. Right? I mean, we're going right. to start paying in August, we have to pay semester yeah. one for our oldest. So why dump it in a 529? If you're just going to like, cash it out, like right away. Right. Um, it's fair. So you know, that's, that's one of the scenarios. Um, another is to say, you know, well, yeah, dump it in the 529 and then just, you know, you can start using those, the The funds you're investing today are going to be used in six or eight years. You know, I yeah. mean, it, to me, it felt a little like, why wouldn't I do it in the 529? Like that, that question yeah. just came up to me. Like, why would I take a, you know, pay capital gains, 15% on whatever I've, I've made here instead of getting something for nothing. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Right. I was a little puzzled by that response. I don't know. Hmm. Did in in your report were there were there things that you hadn't done yet? Like he basically lists like urgent actions. What were some of the urgent actions that you had?
1: Um, One was about you know getting out of some of the higher fee funds, um, removing the risk from my fixed income, and you know considering the question of the mortgage pay down okay um those were in there and the mortgage one may not have been in the high priority the other two definitely were and and that was fine because that that just gave me a good starting point because you know to your point the report is thick you talked about a lot of stuff there's a lot of reference material to go back and review and so i just came up with a plan after that and you know ticked them off in priority order, but that gave me the time to do the work. I will say one thing we haven't touched on yet that I did appreciate is I never felt like this was like a loss leader kind of offering where I'm going to give you this thing, but I'm really going to be selling you on something much bigger. Oh, after. yeah,
0: no, it wasn't that it, at all, and
1: I really appreciate that because i I think you know about the only time further work came up is we talked about the moves that I would want to make in my portfolio to achieve this, and you know he said something like, you know, from our conversation, I think you got this, but you know <laughs> if you decided you wanted help and coming up with a multi-year plan to move the portfolio in this direction, that's something we can do hourly consulting on. Just let me know. And that was kind of the only time it was mentioned. So I appreciated that it really was treated like a standalone offer oh, yeah. and not something to you know hook you in. And, <laughs> um, so that, that was nice. But uh, yeah, I did uh, I did leave with some clear actions and then other stuff that was a question. Did I want to do this? I was going to go do some work on that. And so, I mean, I earnestly did dig into the mortgage payoff question and I looked, weighed my options and I didn't do it, but the other stuff I did pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. We had, um, I didn't have one of these emergency letter side letter of instructions, which basically lists all of your you know, accounts and, you know, a whole bunch of things. I, you probably already had this in place. Cause I know you're, you're like that, but I appreciated that <laughs> because it, it forced me to, you know, just the, the, the kind of checklist nature of the report was nice because like you, I went through and said, Oh yeah, I don't have that. And actually really do need that. And, you know, it took me an hour to pull it together. Um, it also pushed me to say, okay, crypto cold storage. Do you have cold storage? I'm like, yep, got that. Um, but I didn't tell anyone where it is or how to access it. You know, um, I didn't have a password manager. I just, I didn't have that, you know? So I, went ahead and I got Bitwarden and I remember you based, asked me what I use yeah based on your recommendation and I love it you know now I'm yeah now great. I can just securely share passwords with people who are in my kind of uh, connected community there um so that was that was really great um I did rebalance to VGIT uh from BND so that I mean as boring as that is That felt like a great move because now what I'm going to do (laughs) is I'm going to start buying, I'm going to, you know, new buys are going to go into buying more stock. So I can change the asset allocation a little bit there because now it's a more, you know, the risk adjusted return of the portfolio can be higher if I um, made that move. Um, I also changed my international target. So to be more like the global weighting. You know, between US and international stocks. So my equity allocation changed a little bit there. Again, that's a DCA thing. I'm all on dollar cost averaging into that because I'm still making buys. Um,
1: yeah. What did you land on for international? I think we've talked about that offline.
0: <clears throat> um, I'm doing 30.
1: 30 as a percent of, the, of your equity, yeah. of your stock portion. Oh, okay. So exactly. higher than me.
0: Cool. Yeah. What do you got? 20. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm not there yet, so maybe I'll change my mind.
1: (laughs) No, I've 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 thought about increasing.
0: It's it's uh, yeah. Speaking of that, I just did some loss harvesting in that international fund. Oh, did you? (laughs) So I'm not like totally jazzed about it, but
1: (laughs) yeah, I I understand.
0: Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Fi. How about actions you didn't take? Um, you mentioned the mortgage, right? Were there things recommended that um, you are just like, nah, I'm not gonna do that?
1: that's the biggest one. The second one is just this idea of drawdown strategy. Are there ways to mitigate risk from the way I'm choosing to draw down? And that would either be implementing an equity glide path yep. or maybe something even more anathema to our listeners. Having a portion of my assets, um, uh, hold on, I lost the word. A
0: spia. <laughs> yes. You're going to do a spia, uh, man. A,
1: uh, annuitizing a portion of my assets. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know enough about both of those options, but I did do a little more work just to convince myself that I was comfortable with the approach I already had. And then, you know, I was appreciative for the references that came along. I did the reading and then I moved past it. Yes. So I didn't take I didn't take those. uh, uh, And he didn't present it as a you must do these things. It was here's three ways you could mitigate the risk of your drawdown strategy. And you could choose. Zero
0: of them or one of them?
1: Right. <laughs> and and I, I chose zero.
0: I chose zero as well. That was okay. one of the ones I did not take, This the SPIA, the single premium immediate annuity. Um He recommended we increase our emergency fund. So oh, okay. I, I said we had two months of cash basically on hand. But Naughty. honestly, it, it fluctuates because I'm just like...
1: Yeah. Well, with your business, I mean, your income... You don't have the, the paycheck that most people who would be listening to this who are still working would have. I know what I'm getting every other week. Right.
0: Yeah. Yours is much more variable. It's variable. But also the way I look at emergency funds is, and I know everyone's got their own cut on this, but, do. you know, I've got a taxable brokerage account and I've got, you know, options. I've got credit cards. Like I just have ways to get cash. Like, yeah, I don't know. It feels like. Holding a lot of cash, especially in this environment, just doesn't feel great to me, you know.
1: Yeah, well, as someone who's sitting here with two years of cash, uh, it doesn't feel great, but and I know Karsten would be very <laughs> disappointed in me, but he would uh, it helps me sleep well.
0: <laughs> so, I also had uh, a plea to purchase more umbrella insurance because the umbrella policy that I have is not doesn't cover all my assets, and you know, I basically this was a hard one because everyone's insurance situation is very nuanced and different. Right. Yeah, sure. um, and because I have two teenage drivers there, nobody wants to write me a policy more than a million bucks. So, right. you know, you can, we talked about other ways to get, yeah, get that bumping your auto
1: coverage higher. And, yeah.
0: But this yeah. was a place where he was like, yeah, I just have, I haven't heard of that before, but you know, you should shop it around. You should get a broker. He also wanted me to have disability insurance, um, to cover some gaps between now and, you know, when we reach our number, which okay, I mean, yeah, it's i told my we're basically self insured there because right that's
1: what i would have assumed
0: yeah um but you know it's not bad advice it's no like, it's
1: actually good advice while you're <laughs> still i mean you are still legitimately dependent on your working income yes. yep so it is the right guidance you know i, I do wonder about that like you know as, as someone who's you know is is beholden to a fiduciary standard when you have some random person who you know, you're reliant on what they share with you as what their situation is and you have a fixed amount of time to do it. And it seems like you'd kind of have to err towards the more conservative side and be like, hey, it is in your best interest to do these things. Yep. And so I, I guess they do have a kind of a line they have to ride. For sure. Yeah. I hadn't really I, thought about it that way until we're talking about it.
0: I, I was thinking um, the, the there are people that I'm friends with right now very yeah. similar. They're the same age as us, uh, that could really benefit from a service like this because it, totally. it, it captures the whole picture. It's like everything. And I, I just had a conversation with some friends the other weekend and, and they don't even know what they have for assets. They, yeah. Like, Oh, it's here and there, but I mean, I don't, I haven't checked. And do they have a will? Do they have a trust? No. And you and I are coming into this more prepared than most. You worked with financial advisors for seven years yep. b- beforehand. You and I have been talking about this for a couple of years now. We've done all, a lot of estate planning. So some of those things feel like, you know, yeah. done been there, done that, Been we there, know. done that. Right. But for, for people who haven't, this could be a tremendous value. Just getting that yeah. list, that checklist that says, Hey, <laughs> if nothing else to say, like, these are, these are the most urgent things on your list like do these five things and the urgent list for you and i probably not as urgent as for other people but i could see some people really getting a lot of benefit out of this
1: i can too and you know i even even people who are very successful by any measure i've i've had two different conversations in the last couple of months where you know i'm i'm talking to somebody who i know to be pretty successful one of them had been through some good startup experiences one of them is in a, a high income job and is very successful in it and we got talking about the show and what we were doing and they were like yeah i honestly have no both of them were kind of the same i honestly have no idea how long it is before i could retire right i'm like well not uncommon. like you know what i'm like what do you you know how, how are you prepared like what are you doing with you both have kids like what are you doing with your family and taking yeah i figure like we need to get to do some of that at some point but it's not really a priority. I'm like, you're in your forties. Do you know what Um, I wonder though? It's cheap insurance to just get some help on that. Just get some guidance, right? A couple hours worth of effort to get a, some kind of like high level roadmap. That seems pretty useful.
0: Here's what I wonder the early triage kind of, um, the onboarding questionnaire. I wonder if that wouldn't trip some people like that up though. Because I think it would, because they actually are asking questions like, okay, what are your assets? Where like listing your assets? Where are they? What are they? Um, but then it's like, okay, what are your financial goals? And when do you plan to retire? And what do you think your, you know, your annual spend is? What do you want your annual spend to be in retirement? What's your retirement date? And those are very big questions. You and I were, it was easy to answer those. Like yeah. we breezed right over those. But someone who has no plan, I wonder if they would see that questionnaire and go, oh, man, <laughs> yeah. I can't even do this, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I guess, you know, one of my favorite things about this show, especially in terms of the feedback we get, uh, which we both really appreciate, is when – I sit back and reflect on how many of the topics we talk about are broadly applicable irrespective of whether you're interested in, you know, retiring early or achieving a specific FI target. They're just generally applicable and anybody could find value in making sure that their financial sort of health is clear, right? Because we've all got blind spots. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah. Like every single one of us, you and I have talked numerous times about our blind spots on this show. I'm sure we're probably not going to stop anytime soon. Um, And so, you know, you don't have to have some long-term relationship with somebody managing your portfolio to get that kind of clarity. And yes, you can DIY this whole thing. Neither of us are being paid by anybody to talk on this topic, um, nor are we going to mention who we work with. Um, That's not what the goal of this is. It's just... You know, as a concept, like knowing where you are and being able to kind of orient yourself to what you might need to kind of address in terms of gaps like that can only be beneficial
0: and and for you and I, part of the motivation was seeking a contrarian opinion and getting you know we we want that that feedback loop which forces us to look at the portfolio from a different angle and see it see it differently and i I feel like I got a ton of value here um out of, out of that spend. I wonder if it were someone who had who are further away from their fi date, like, is this still useful to that person? Or is it better for someone who is kind of further along in their journey? They have more assets. I mean, you know, if you have a hundred thousand dollars of assets, a thousand dollars for a consult is a bigger percentage of a portfolio of a million dollars. Right. So what, what, yeah. what, what would you say to that?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think it depends on what level of information you already have. So for example, you know, on the, you know, the discord that I spend time on, you're dealing with people in their 20s, sometimes yeah. early 30s who are really well versed in the sort of tenets of personal finance yep. and they're marching towards their FI goals. And so I suspect many if not most of them would probably find less value in this kind of service at this stage because they just the fundamentals are in place and it's a simple portfolio and their goals are pretty straightforward, but farther along as you start to get close to a transition date even if you're well informed you know it's a really good time to sort of look at the nuts and bolts of things and make sure you're comfortable but for everybody else who's not obsessively thinking about fire and really digging in and doing the research or even knows where to start that research man i don't know how many people in your life you've run into like this but i've found a lot of people who you know are doing a lot of the right stuff working hard getting you know increasing their pay over time but They don't have a clear strategy for investments it's maybe kind of here and there and not concerted and maybe they haven't thought through all these you know questions of estate planning for example and having a comprehensive financial plan they're going to find tremendous value and the earlier you get that information the better the earlier you start taking those decisions doing the things you need to do whether it's saving or or putting you know insurance in place the better off you are right you're reducing risk and so it 's hard to argue that that even though a fee which you know maybe on the low end is five hundred dollars on the high end maybe it's fifteen hundred or two thousand here we're talking about a thousand dollar offering yes, it's a lot in absolute dollars, but it could turn out to be priceless in yeah, terms of I, guidance
0: I think you know as I think about people who i'm friends with who I could recommend this to um, you know, I wonder if they would see that as a barrier. It's like, well, geez, I don't even know how much I have and I don't know if I need this kind of a service. I just kind of yeah. I just maybe I should just tally up the numbers myself. Um, yeah, I think it might be a harder sell. Yeah, to them, honestly. I get it. It's just but it'd be you and I see the value there.
1: Yeah, it's an individual question that you ask. I think it's a very good one to raise. And some people on the surface would immediately see the value others might never. And that's, that's okay. It's just, it's an option that's out there for people who decide that it has merit to it.
0: It would be interesting to do one that was specifically geared toward people who are on the fire path. Cause I don't, I don't think this one was necessarily like, okay, yeah. we, we talked about that in the initial uh, 15 minute consult, but yeah, me too. Like, the, the fire path has its own set of specific circumstances that I don't feel like this was a perfect marriage there, nor was it pitched like that. that It wasn't like, Oh, Hey, this is your fire portfolio check-in. Like I would be interested in a very tailored service there. That could be a a nice next step. I also, it also helped me gauge my, um, you know, this isn't the, Hey, I'm going to look at your every, thing in your stock portfolio and help you make decisions there that was offered as a, as an upsell at the very, very end. Like, yeah, we can take this hourly if you need help managing this and that. And so I think that helped kind of gauge my expectations. Cause I went in, like I said, with my expectations pretty high. And then I started to realize, okay, this is really, it's not assets under management, hold my hand kind of service, which is what maybe I kind of had in my mind it's, it's more like, yeah, we can do that, but it has to be in this kind of a format. So there's an hourly format where we're working together and you know right. making those then. And that was kind of the drawdown strategy that I was hoping to develop and figuring out tax location of funds and things like that. Those really detailed questions were kind of moved into that bucket for, for me. And that's reasonable. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, we, I think so. You know,
0: given the number of things that we were kind of reviewing. Um, and I think he was trying to do his, his level best to make sure we had all aspects of our financial life covered. And yeah, you know, I can't fault him for that. I do. I do want to just kind of say like it, going into this with a very specific set of questions will be helpful to guide the conversation because both you and I had questions, but it sounds like you were more successful in manipulating it to be like, okay, just around these things. And maybe it's just because of your circumstance, like, You've you've already made it, you know, so now you are at the point of fine-tuning the dials, right?
1: Yeah, and I, I think I, I found myself thinking the same thing when you were talking earlier, and maybe it's that his interest in my situation was about mitigating risk post-RE. You know, I'm drawing down. How do we make sure that the things you're doing are protective of that? Whereas with you, he's going to err more conservative on the, okay, before you pull the trigger... <laughs> <laughs> here's some things you really want to have in place because let's face it, you know, once you pull the trigger, it's not so easy to undo some of those decisions uh, and some fields aren't as easy to get back into. So yeah. I guess he's probably used to a pretty specific, you know, g- general set of guidance and might, I guess if I had to think about it, he's going to tilt more towards conservatism maybe in the pre-stage. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, I, makes sense. I asked Laura this morning, I said, Oh yeah, Jane and I are having this conversation today. You know, like, we just kind of debriefed on it a little bit because we did have this conversation a while ago. And I said, um, how did you come away from that meeting feeling like what was the general feeling? And she said the first words that she said were, you know, I felt more confident in our own abilities to come up with a DIY plan that was actually okay.' You know, I I mean, we are going to disagree on this asset allocation. It's just just like you did with him. Like, it's just, we're going to disagree because there's a range of opinions. And I feel like our opinions are informed by the specific fire situation that we're approaching. So yeah, naturally the portfolio is going to look more aggressive than someone who's retiring at 65. So it just kind of has to, right. And so we differ on that. And then it also made us look a little bit further into some of the drawdown percentages. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, this is a great time to be doing that. So I think Overall, it built confidence, um, even though I say we left the meeting feeling a little deflated because it just meant like, OK, well, maybe the fire number needs to go up again.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like I should dig in and find the text exchange we had that day, because I, I feel like you might have mentioned something about trying to talk Laura down from the ledge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's nice to have some distance between it, because I think it, oh, we, totally. we were both feeling a little like, mm. yeah, a little different, yeah, but it always helps. And that, that wasn't his intent. I, I, no, in no, any, I didn't take it that means, way. I,
1: I guess uh, you know, on net, when I think about the service and the questions I had and the answers I got. I absolutely feel that I got my money's worth. You know, I know coming out of the call, there were things that I like had hoped would go into way more detail <laughs> and have the time to do. But like, I think for me at least, I'm not speaking for you. That, that some of that was kind of unrealistic. Like that we were gonna get that deep in two hours yeah. um and 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 for the money I paid,
0: especially but, since you came off of having that kind of a relationship with financial advisors in the past I did
1: I did, but on that, I was very pleased. I really appreciated the opportunity to ask follow up questions and still get yep. very good answers, even though the check had been written already, right? It already paid online for the service, which very was responsive. You know, you know, and I that I like. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was ninety days that you could check back in, and I think I'm right because I sent a question even just yesterday, <laughs> following up on some specific thing that's very ve- relevant now about one of the records. You're giving me
0: a hard time about getting a list made. of questions, dude. <laughs> no, it
1: was a. But I mean, he responded very quickly. It was to the point, and it was perfect. Yeah,
0: cool. There's a lot of these things out there. We'll put the the places that we know of yeah. in the show notes and in the description uh, of, of the video below. And, um, yeah, reach out with questions and comments.
1: Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Phi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesofphi.com.